Excuse me, sir. Uh, please step this way. Uh, you have something about your person that has alerted our scanner. Oh, is it the tweed jacket? It's the tweed jacket, isn't it? I know it's not very in at the moment, but I'm hoping it will catch on. May even bring a bit more business the way of Scotland's clothing industry, which I think will be nice. It's, uh, it's not the jacket, sir, no. Oh, is it the somewhat ill-matched shirt and trousers? I wasn't that sure myself to begin with, but, you know, I'm giving it a spin. Um, no, not the shirt and trousers. No, actually, sir, that, that sort of works, although I'm not sure why. Anyway, sir, th- about this particular item which you have about your person. It's the bow tie, isn't it? I knew it. That was always going to be an iffy decision. Look, I could take it off this time if it means getting my flight. Uh, no, actually, to be honest, the bow tie's sort of all right. Um, it's growing on me. Well, what is it then? You see, it's vital I get this flight because it's the only one that flies close enough to the imminent spawning of the eggs of the Vantratinus 5. It's my only chance with the TARDIS out of action. If I don't stop them hatching this close to the Earth, it'll be the end of everything. Everything, do you understand? Even the chance of reinstating your 10% off travel perks. You've got to let me past. There's not a moment to lose. Uh, Chief, can I have some help here, please? What's up? This man, he's starting to do my head in. He's got something in his pocket. Ah, am I pleased to see you. I beg your pardon? What? Oh, oh, I see. Uh, No, no! That's my sonic screwdriver. Your what? My sonic. Look, I'll show you. You could speed up this tedious queue if I just... Wow, that's amazing. What did you do? I just reversed the polarity, that's all. Yes, that is amazing. Thank you, sir. Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. Look, is there anything we could offer you in return? Any destination in all of planet Earth? Any time in the next four weeks? Where do you want to start? Um, yes, I've got to go. Hello and welcome to the Oodcast. And this week we have much excitement. We're going to be looking at the big launch event that Chris, Sigma and Laura attended up in the city for the 11th hour. Hooray! We're going to be looking at the 11th hour. Wasn't Ooh. it good? Oh, you spoiled it. You or spoiled the it? ending of the review. Yeah. Did we think it was good? <laughs> and was um, rubbish. Just general excitement and Doctor Whoishness and, oh, it's going to be fun. That's right, Andrew. It is. It's going to be amazing. But first of all, it's the Ucast News. <laughs> Cast news at zero hundred hours. Exactly. The headlines today. 
new computer virus found worldwide, experts say it's definitely dangerous and a little bit alive. Hundreds of airplanes drop out of the sky as sophisticated flight deck equipment and coordinates get reset to zero. All binary-based electronic systems ceased working. This includes computers, digital televisions, mobile phones, digital stereos, radio, pacemakers and the internet. The human race is sent back to the Stone Age. The Amish community are completely fine. Sales of struggling soft drink brand Coke Zero go through the roof thanks to audacious new global marketing campaign. Used car dealers rejoice as mysterious pranksters give odometers a new lease of life. No one wins the lottery. Massive fluctuations in the world's stock market cause all shares to plunge to their lowest level since 1602. Sport news now, and all matches and games in every fixture of every sport imaginable end in a draw. Today's weather, and it looks like we're in for a cold snap, as according to our instruments, temperatures worldwide have dropped to freezing point. And finally, we'll tell you the heartwarming story of how a mother and her two daughters were rescued from a hospital in rural England by a giant eyeball riding a snowflake. Honestly, you couldn't make it up. That was the Udcast headlines at, well, still still at zero hundred hours. Until next time, you bring the nibbles, we'll bring the news. So the eleventh hour has come and gone, and we are in the twelfth hour. Yes, <laughs> zero hour. <laughs> oh, but wasn't it good? Oh, it was wasn't amazing. It was, I was loved what it. Good? Um, uh, I didn't miss it again, did I? <laughs> yeah. No, not really. I, yeah, it was brilliant. How many times has everyone seen it? Just as a I've, sort of, I've seen it twice. I've seen it twice. Mm. I've seen it one and a half. Ooh, oh! I did that sort of slightly geeky sort of thing where I fast forwarded through the second time I watched it. I fast forwarded through all the bits that Matt Smith and Karen Geddon weren't in because I was so <laughs> taken with them and like the bits in the hospital where you've got the doctor, not the doctor, but the the woman doctor. You saved precious moments about half a minute there i would say because yeah. they were probably <laughs> yep. not in it for about half a minute <laughs> but um matt smith karen gillen <gasps> amazing <gasps> yes yes amazing so i i thought i'd let laura speak for me as well and i thought what was particularly good was the fantastic fantastic chemistry between the two of them and um just the feistiness of amy Amy is quite obviously a woman with her own opinions who the doctor has had a, a, a deep scarring effect on her psyche. And it's quite interesting to see how that relationship is going to be played out over the course because there's no sort of romantic affiliations, even though she does like it when he gets his kit off. But, <laughs> but frankly, you, you get the sense that that's just she likes it when fit men when get, people their, get kit their kits off, off. not particularly yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. The, the on the whole um the whole uh relationship thing what really struck me was the doctor's relationship with the tardis um leaving aside perhaps this little mention of oh you sexy thing um which is perhaps a bit more glib and oh look at this yeah let's leave that to uh, certain areas of fan fiction yeah. to to talk about <laughs> but the bit that struck me was when the new sonic comes up out of the console and he goes oh thanks dear it's like these two have been together for perhaps a millennia 
Uh, very much old married couple. Yeah, yeah I it's, really it's like the time that. travel equivalent of where are my glasses? They're on your head, yeah. dear. Oh, thanks, dear. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And that same sort of level of exasperation. Did you take the bin out? Why won't you let me in when the world's going to end? Yes. I'm just yes. a rebuilding. Don't lock the door now. <laughs> one day, one day we will have to see the TARDIS in mid-change. Like when it closes its doors and reconfigures. Wouldn't it be great if mm. someone gets in and it's all sort of yes. half done? Oh. They'd probably end up mashed into the walls like some horrible have... car crusher type accident. Oh, there's a brilliant bit in uh, Clocks, the cartoon series. I, I don't, that's a really geeky thing that probably not Clark. many people have seen. Uh, Clerks, Clerks, uh, no. which is a Kevin Smith film that got turned into a cartoon. And in one of the episodes, they're driving a Transformer and the Transformer turns into a robot and the humans inside <laughs> just get kind of... Squished into <laughs> bloody pulps that sort of no. go out the side. <laughs> that would ha- what happened. I if wonder you're on if the there's TARDIS. A, a TARDIS version of not 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 yet. I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm still in the shower. <laughs> Come back later. Does my time rotor look big in this? <laughs> oh, speaking of the time rotor, that amazing blown glass time rotor was oh, a time a, rotor that's an hourglass. It, brilliant, it incredible. Mm. I was so impressed. It reminded me of sort of a, the window of an apothecary. Oh, yeah. I love all the little foot pedals and uh, the little hot and cold taps. And, um, oh, it's just (laughs) steampunk gone mad. And the fact that they've really taken great steps to put a lot of Time Lord references into there with all Mm. the circular writing and sketches Mm. and etchings. I I like the old, the, the references. They weren't overly geeky references. They came across as actually just quite funny the way he climbed out of the TARDIS soaking wet. And to me, this is a reference to the old series because you never had other rooms when David Tennant and Christopher Eccleston were in there. But now he's he's fallen into a, a swimming pool when the TARDIS has crashed and he's had to climb out through that, through the library, just to get out into the console room and then get out. And that, to me, was really, really good. I like the fact they've yeah. re-established and the, that. The Statement of intent for and continuity. And the splash yeah. when he falls back in again. <laughs> It is uh, really brilliant. Um, So we've talked a little bit about both of the actors portraying the main TARDIS crew. Perhaps we should reserve a few words for the man who's ushered this new era in, Mr. Stephen Moffat. Who the man? Oh, fine. I'm not saying that again. Every week, Andy. (laughs) Definitely the highest quota of of quotable lines in any episode for the last couple of years. All, All together so witty and funny but also with that real knowledge of what makes a scare uh, how to construct a scare how to foreshadow details that need to be known um that that sort of tie up the plot later on no deus ex machina device Mm. at the end where the doctor just presses one button with no foreshadowing that just solves the problem proper like if this did exist and the logic of this world did exist then how could the doctor Mm. uh you know, I, I like the way he treated the episode, actually. The script was it, amazing, the way it sort of... It, it built up gradually to a really good head of steam and mm. then stopped and then restarted again. Yeah. And I thought, I thought it was incredible. And I've had problems in the past with the first episodes of series because they're always about the companions completely, which I can kind of understand. But um, with the Christmas Invasion they had David Tennant in bed for three quarters of the plot and then he came out and saved the world with a Satsuma and trundled off in his TARDIS. This time, 
the companion started the story. She was the catalyst for it all, but it it got completely taken over by the Doctor. And I thought that was right. And he he yeah. drove the plot and then restarted it when he thought it all finished again. And I thought that was a great moment. Mm. Yeah. When he phoned them and said, Lloyd, come back. Yes, yeah. that, that was the here. bit that I really, really <laughs> loved because, of course, you had you had them starting out with him waving the sonic screwdriver in the air, as we've seen so many times over the past year. And, and you think, oh, no, mmm. not again. And then it explodes. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And then you Tardis get his... Out of action. That's right. And then you get the analysis of the situation with his crazy new mental skills where he can pick up a whole area in bullet time and identify mm. what things are wrong, who's not doing what, they, what he expects mm. within a matter of split seconds. And then... It, takes it to the other level all the way through the decisions that he's making are branching out into these fantastic solutions and then it goes wrong and then he picks it up again and it's never it's never an easy solution but then for me the real cheer moment was when he calls them and goes did you think no one was watching Mm. and he brings them back like a sort of a, a dog that's been shouted at Oh, he fantastic. becomes the doctor in that does, moment yeah, up on the yeah, roof. Yeah. He does up the bow tie out of shot almost. And then you see all of the doctors mm, that we love mm. one after another coming through. And then at the end, he walks, walks through, through that giant face of David Tennant and goes, all right. Yeah. I'm the <laughs> and doctor. I've, got, I've so got to tell you at the premiere, the cheers at that point were huge. Oh, Laura and I saw it with 800 other fans that were at an invitation only mm. event. Uh, so you can imagine. So guys, what was it like? Well, funny you should ask. Laura and I made some recordings off my iPhone uh, that we thought we'd play to you now. So this is us with about three hours to go. So here we go. Listen to this. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the evening of the 11th hour's launch and Laura and I are at Jeremy Bentham's party in the heart of the city of London. Are you excited, Laura? I I just had a thought, actually, about the 11th hour. Do you think it could be a reference to World War II? You know, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th minute. Maybe this could be the one where the Daleks are doing the thing with the Second World War, couldn't it? It, That could be it. It could be, but that's actually victory of the Daleks. And the 11th hour, I think, in this case, refers to having to do something at the last minute. The 11th hour. And it's also a pun on the new incarnation of the Doctor. That's what I think. Oh, yes, it could be that, too. That's right. We've seen a few um, local celebrities since we've been here. We've seen the chappie from The Flashing Blade. That's right. Well, you have. I haven't seen him yet. He's got a big white T-shirt on. And what does the T-shirt say? The Flashing Blade. Is that how you recognised him as the person from The Flashing Blade? Yes. It's like... Whenever you hear somebody on the radio, you always think they look entirely different to how they actually look. For example, I always thought that Steve Wright looked a little bit like a sort of a blonde, tanned David Hasselhoff fused with Ken from Ken and Barbie. But he actually looks more like an accountant. Um, I suppose I should just describe the room. We're in a cavernous pub called the Crossed Keys, which is just one massive, massive room with marble pillars and a giant TV screen. And it's absolutely packed with people and the atmosphere is reaching a fever pitch already. And it's still three hours to go. So that's very exciting indeed. Are you excited? Yes. Describe your excitement by using metaphor and simile. I can't. 
I am as excited as a lion who has found a lot of gazelles who have had their legs chopped off. But then the poor lion wouldn't have be able to have any of the leg meat. I am as excited as a Silurian who has wiped out the human race. You're treading on my foot. Sorry. I'm as excited as a small child who's just been told that they're going to go to Alton Towers when they didn't know about it. So there we go. The excitement is growing. Um, we'll check back in with you later on as uh, things keep occurring here in the Cross Keys, City of London. So there we go. Our first live outside broadcast showing the levels of professionalism <laughs> that we've become known for. And also, what a hubbub of who's. Did anyone come up to you and go, oh, the youth cast, the youth cast? Yes. Really? Yes, a couple of people, and they knew my name also. No way, that's awesome. Did you know them already? Or No. They? they were other podcasters. Uh, so we met uh, people from Staggering Stories. Hooray. Professor Dave's Ark in Space. Uh. And also the Flashing Blade. I believe they were the three lots that were there. Mm -hmm. And we had a big old chat with them and it was really nice to actually meet them in real life. That's really awesome, guys. It's like we're part of a big happy family. That makes well, me glow. we are. In yeah. fact, we recorded a bit of a podcast together and that's going to be available on several different podcast feeds, including our own, uh, sometime later in the week. So it was great to speak to them too. And we did have a massive geek out about the episode afterwards. <laughs> so yeah, there we are, three hours before we were very excited. Uh, about an hour before we, well, got so hyper, it was like I'd eaten 15 packs of Skittles. <laughs> Let's return to the past Chris and Loz and hear how excited we were. But one hour from the show. So we're at the Doctor Who fan premiere. We've got about an hour and a half to go before we're due for the screening. It is packed to the rafters in here. And there have been a few special guest appearances. So let me just pass you over to Chris to tell you a little bit more about them. Yep, we've had a surprise appearance by Katie Manning, the third Doctor's assistant, Joe Grant, but I'm sure everyone knew that. She's here, uh, she's looking very lovely. She seems really lovely too. Very excitable and effusive in her praise for the new series and just a delightful presence. So it's nice to have her around. Uh, other podcasters, we've seen Adam from Staggering St Stories, uh, Tony and Joe from The Flashing Blade, Professor Dave, uh, and, and a few others. I so there's a lot of great people around. So it's a lovely time had by all. And I've got a set of beautifully drawn mini picture postcards by Victoria Summer, who's a graphic designer. Have a look at her website if you can. Victoria Summer, like S-O-M-M-E-R. Um, she's done tiny little cartoon representations of each and every doctor. So Chris and I have bought a set. They're very cute. Talking about multiple doctors, when I was coming into the pub, it was very funny because there was about five 
dejected-looking students standing outside the pub, each of them dressed as a different incarnation of the Doctor, all looking very sad indeed because they weren't being let in because they had no ID. So as they walked up, there was a sad 11th Doctor and a sad 10th Doctor and a sad 9th Doctor and a sad 7th Doctor, all arguing and being angry and sad because they couldn't come into the pub. It was a very comical image, I thought. So that was hilarious too. Poor Doctors. Well... Anyhow, we are considering moving from our comfy chairs just so we can try and get a, a look at what's going on elsewhere on the big screens. So we will probably do our next recording after we've seen the episode. Or a couple of minutes before. Depends at which point Chris is looking more like he's going to wet himself with excitement. Okay. Bye-bye. But then, of course, we got so excited, we forgot to do any more recordings, either before or after the show. <laughs> so oh. there we go. But that's a little slice of life, what it was like at the party, which I really enjoyed. It was really amazing to see Doctor Who being admired and enjoyed by that many people at that level. Yeah. yeah. It sounds incredible. I'm really sorry I couldn't get there, actually. Yeah, me too. Next but, time. Uh, apart, from, apart from which, I would have had a go at those studenty doctors standing outside for forgetting their psychic paper exactly. to get into the pub. Um, right. Come on, how amateur a mistake is that? I mean, they were oh, probably just angry. imagine what they would have done. They w- if you're listening, I'm so sorry. Please listen to us more. <laughs> They're probably angry because they cross time st- streams and mm. as we know when the doctor crosses his own time stream <laughs> that's putting the whole universe at risk just to go and see it and then they're not even allowed in because they're not old enough it's pretty sad it is of course uh, you guys at home watching did have the advantage if you didn't have to watch the 11th hour basically in the same atmosphere as a rush hour tube carriage <laughs> yeah we were standing for the whole time and, yeah. and pressed in on all sides especially laura there was a lot of Doctor Who fans who seemed particularly interested in pressing up against Laura, I thought. <laughs> and when it finished, it was probably the only time that I've gone downstairs and seen a giant queue stretching out of the men's with loads and loads of space in the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so an amazing event. I wonder if there was any points that people wanted to make about the episode that we haven't covered while going on this slight I, I detour. Have, I have one, Excellent. which is about the, the moment you talked about earlier with the sonic screwdriver when it burnt. That really reminded me of Time Crash because, and this is uh, uh, maybe slightly tenuous, but there is a line in Time Crash where um, the Tenth Doctor says to Peter Davison, or sorry, the Fifth Doctor, um, of course, you're the Doctor who who went hands-free, didn't you? Look at me, I can save the world with a a kettle and a piece of string (laughs) and I'm wearing a vegetable. Mm. Um, And that really reminds me, because he suddenly realises, I've got to save the world without a sonic screwdriver. He has a post office. But it's shut. (laughs) Obviously both are written by Stephen Moffat as well, and I like the idea that it's not all... I think that's quite a good statement of we're not going to overly rely on these things. We're, We're going to make this interesting. And I thought that was a great moment. It's a really interesting point. I remember that they destroyed the sonic screwdriver because they said it was a catch-all, get-out-of-any-situation, whereas Russell T. Davis said we're putting it back because no one wants to see the Doctor go through 11 doors in inventive ways. They want him to get through the doors so he can go and confront the presence or the evil presence on the other side of it. Mm. So there's actually two points of view on the sonic screwdriver. Is it something that is an easy way to get out of doing plot, or is it to hurry out the bo- hurry up the boring bits of the plot to get to the bits you want to see? It, it can I get be what both. you're saying, but I, I think what was the problem with Russell's 
version of it. Is We're he on got first name terms, <laughs> Russell. Yeah. Oh, Russell and me, me old mucker, Russ. Anyway, the doctor and I. That's right. Um, I, I think the problem rusty, with the problem with Rusty, Emoir, <laughs> is that he would get through those eleven doors or twelve doors, however many doors, and then he wouldn't stop using it. He wouldn't put it back in his pocket. It would just remain sellotaped to his hand mm. Mm. and winking on and off at every possible moment. Yeah, and, and again, when when they destroyed it, when Peter Davison was the Doctor, I have seen some of the earlier ones where he still had it, and actually, I don't think he overused it. I think he used it for for interesting reasons, for good reasons. He didn't overuse it at all, I don't think. From my memory, my memory's rather poor, but I have seen quite a few of those. While we're so. still on the Sonic Screwdriver, can I just quickly say that the new toy of the Sonic Screwdriver wasn't put on sale until the episode had finished because obviously it would ruin what it looked like and stuff like that. So um, there was a stall at the fan premiere that was going to sell them, but they wouldn't put them out on display to sell until the episode had finished. But mm. the moment the theme music came on at the end, <laughs> they went out and I ran and got... So I, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a new Sonic Screwdriver before the title music had ended on the 11th of, hour. Of Chris kind of climbing over 800 tables. 800 pe- fans. Me, I just crowd went through surfing. like a bolt. <laughs> <laughs> Get me to the front of the queue. And then I couldn't use it because you need a normal screwdriver to mm. get the batteries in to make the sonic <laughs> screwdriver work. Uh, oh, yeah. the irony. You've left Sons it upstairs so we can't see it. Yeah, I'll show you it later. <laughs> Cheers, mate. I've got something to say. I've got something to say about the theme music. Here we go. I don't like it. No, me neither. I really don't like it. I quite liked it. I'll tell you what. It's a bit flaccid. Exactly, Laura. Need we say more? You see, the thing is that that Delia Derbyshire... Is still there. No, it's different. (laughs) The original one that Russell T. Davis used is the signature of the series, to my mind. It is Doctor Who. How can you not have it? See, the problem with 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 the the Russell T Davies one is that it was quite boring. At least I thought it was. It was quite dull. It was the same tune, but the orchestral version was quite dull to me. No. Before that, me? before that, it already sounded very electronic and very out of this world. And suddenly, it's okay, concert hall. No, no the new it was one is fantastic. kind of dum de dum de dum boo woo dum de dum de wah. Did you skip the music well, the second time you watched it? Because yeah. that's not what it said. Yeah, I did because it was rubbish. <laughs> I, I thought that the orchestral version was really, you know, it was it was it automatically as soon as you heard it, yeah. you had your pulse Excitement. rising and you were jollied along. It was like riding a horse full tilt into the jaws of danger. Whereas this one, it's like somebody's turned up and kind of gone. What I need, it's, guys, it's very meh. What I need, guys, is at the start of every episode, is for someone to come in as the titles begin, with a heavily laden tea tray and to arrange it noisily whilst obscuring the screen so I can't see the titles either. I'm sorry, I don't like them. And then that'll just take sort of 30 seconds and then it's fine, we'll get on with the story. I'm sorry, I'm... See, the, the music I can kind of understand. Yeah. I quite liked it, but I understand why you don't like it. But the titles looked amazing. Yeah. Is the show now called Dr. D.W. Who? <laughs> no, because that's a TARDIS shape. It's just a clever way of making the shape. I agree with Andrew quite a lot. I'm not a musician, so I can't speak about the relative merits of the score and the way it was presented. All I know is 
there's something that Stephen Moffat I think said, which is I, you know, I'm a I'm a ten year old again. By the time the theme music ends, and I'm all I can say is that I'm not a ten year old again. By the mm. time that music ends, but as soon as Matt Smith starts saying something awesome, makes me laugh, and then runs out the door and makes something explode, I am a ten year old again. Crazy. So it's not yeah. it's not like the series has lost that. But the theme music that theme music doesn't do that to me. Doesn't I feel disappointed. Sorry, I, I, I says I, the inner child. I sat through the music and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I didn't think oh, that's, that's horrible. I didn't think that's better. Me neither. I, I didn't thought, think, oh, it's, I that's thought, quite good. Meh. Okay, let's go on. Yeah. But but. Guys, guys, you, do you remember how before when we were talking about things that we were excited about? Yes, hmm? and Andrew said that he was excited about the title sequence and the yeah. music and all that. Haha, ha, you didn't get your thing, but I totally got mine <laughs> because because I got slapstick right from the very start yes, when he walks into a tree. <laughs> I remember and I got Chris, slapstick. Uh, Chris uh, uh, Sigma saying slapstick. Yeah, that's right. And then the first thing he does is Slapstick. face plant into a tree. I yes. knew it was going to happen. I just saw his massive Brilliant. face and his gigantic hands looking like that weird sense. You know, do you remember there was that model in the Natural History Museum of how many uh, nerve endings you had in various parts of your body? Mm-hmm. And it was this guy with like a giant lower face. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you finished that sentence. And <laughs> massive, massive hands. Yes, I remember It was that. a bit like Matt Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't he so naturally the doctor, right, Matt Smith? He's, you've got Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant, who were both um, m- brilliant actors, as we know. Um, their performances, to me, were very acted, and nothing wrong with that at all. Mm-hmm. The difference with Matt Smith is that he is naturally the doctor. He just is the doctor. It did seem to be very, very easy for him just to... It was the most assured Mm. first performance as the Doctor. Mm. Even Paul McGann, who was also instantly brilliant with a rubbish script. Um, Matt Smith was just the Doctor straight away as soon as he hauled himself back into the TARDIS. Yeah, he took to the role like somebody sliding into a warm bath. Yeah. Now you're hot with the metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. Something that might provide the ultimate seal of approval for Matt Smith was a conversation that I was told about between my son... And another four-year-old. Hello, I'm the Doctor! But basically, I was told this by the leader of one of, uh, of of the Sunday school group he goes into. But they had a very in-depth conversation about the new Doctor, and they apparently were comparing the advantages of the new Doctor to the advantages of David Tennant. And at the end of the conversation, they decided that Matt Smith was better. Wow! Mm. So that's high praise. And my son is still obsessed with David Tennant. <laughs> In fact, he got given a new pinstripe suit yesterday. And he's still obsessed with David Tennant, but still thinks Matt Smith is better. He told me that yesterday. So. Oh, I love I love the proto geek that your son is. <laughs> Shall we compare the advantages and disadvantages yeah. of the different doctors can I, can so that I we can come well, to a conclusive this, conclusion on it? This was not at all led by me either. He watched the episode in a different house to me. Not by my choice, I have to add. But he sat in front of the TV the whole time staring ate a complete dinner without once looking at his food, kept asking for the TV to be turned off and then kept staring at it oh. and watched the entire thing. And apparently when Prisoner Zero came out as that snake with massive teeth, he laughed. 
which nice. is great. Fantastic. Was he, did he laugh and a kind of, oh, that's a bit scary, <laughs> or was that like, that's a bit rubbish? No, I think he was excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Now, we've been very positive. Is there anything that people didn't like? I think to give a sort of review that's balanced, we should probably say... I mean, we've proved we do not like episodes. I think our reviews mm-hmm. of the end, both parts of the ends of time have shown that we don't just love everything. This was a really good episode. I thought that the CGI showed that they'd had the budget cut a little bit. I don't think mm. it was up to the real highs of the RTD era. Mm. Um, the camera is way better yeah. and just normal shots look more lush and have more greater depth and a better colour palette to them. Mm. But some of that CGI, especially the first shot, was quite wince-inducingly bad, I'm afraid. What, the, the moon and the earth shot? Well, that looked like Google Earth, and yeah. then he, it looked very green screen when he was going through the mm. hanging on to the TARDIS, and the Big Ben in CGI was awful. <laughs> and I know it was very last minute. And he, then I thought Prisoner yeah. Zero, when he became the evil face tendril thing, wasn't yeah, very good. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it doesn't make any difference to my enjoyment of the episode at all, but I'm just trying to find things that I thought were less than I've, spectacular. I've got a big bugbear. A big bugbear? Yes, you do. Okay, well, I thought that the scene with uh, Jeff, the he-man, man, pretty face type in his bedroom was a bit rubbish, frankly. <laughs> it was totally unexplained. There's the, there's the wonderful bit where the doctor comes in. Men says, look at yeah, porn sometimes, I Laura. I know that. Oh, sorry, that's not the bit you want to explain. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> so, okay. sometimes so do ladies. Anyhow, so the doctor huh? comes in, goes, what? No, no, and, hang on. Uh, I, I want to know about... No, 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 no you, don't. Afterwards, afterwards. you don't. So you have Jeff, the beautiful man-child, who's looking at his naughty business on the computer. And then in comes the doctor, and there's a very, very funny moment. He decides to create the virus. And then there's this very strange bit where he sort of says, my best, my best man, Jeff, will explain to you. At this point, he hasn't really explained anything to Jeff oh, yes, that everybody I else that. hasn't heard. And there's no reason that Jeff would have a unique knowledge of how to distribute the virus or how to interact with these massive minds. No reason at all. So I saw it the first time and I kind of thought, hang on a second. Did, did I miss something whilst the silly barmaid was tipping ice into a drawer? Why did she do that? Um, especially <laughs> with, noisily, no doubt. Especially with 800 people going <laughs> yeah. at her. 800 people in the pub, you could hear a pin drop. Nobody oh. bought a drink for about an hour. <laughs> Poor pub. <laughs> but afterwards, when I watched it again, there was still no actual explanation of why Jeff suddenly had the capacity to be a technical whiz. I suspect what it was that the doctor was like, look, you know how to interact with these people on your your laptop and you know how to distribute this virus (laughs) I've just written. So get on with it, lad. Save the world. I I would hazard a guess that it's a very different type of interaction. That he's asking them to kind of... I mean, he uh, mentions... No, I I even balk at saying... What I was going to say. Go on, carry on. Jeff what? is a sort of a chat roulette type person, not a sort of NASA no, no, that's right. bank That's person. exactly right. You put. Yeah. I, I feel that he said, get it out any way you can through Twitter mm. and Facebook mm. and message boards. He's obviously identified that probably using his amazing Blade Runner-esque, <laughs> noticing mm. everything that Jeff is really into social media and can actually facilitate that side of things. I think that's what he meant. Well, that's how I'm going to read it. 
So there it we wasn't go. very clear, but I think that's what we should assume. I was very, very pleased because I spent some of yesterday evening, no, Sunday evening, looking at the reviews I found, and they were all wonderful reviews, which was great. Except there were two two e- in the Even Guardian. the Daily Mail, can I say, I actually came out with a positive review. To, it wasn't the same person, though, was it, as the, the ignorant Wally <laughs> <coughs> that I mentioned on the blog. Go and have a look at it. Um but there were two. There was uh, Nancy Bank Smith is a normal TV reviewer, and she started her review by talking about Doctor Who, and her first sentence was, "Well, it's different, but it's not a tenant." I'm like, oh, get over it! It's starting to really make me cross that people are still. But he won't be better than David Tennant. Of course he will. He already is. Shut up. Um, not better as, as good. good as. Oh, well. And then there is a. They, they have the Guardian have a, a blogger who is blogging on the series every week, and he doesn't seem to understand the the concept of the show which really bugs me for a start his first sentence he he doesn't put tardis as an acronym he uses it as a normal word which just Mm. peed me off in a very geeky way um but he says two things which really bugged me the first was a continuity error he supposedly picked up on which is to do with the opening scene Mm -hmm. the doctor starts 12 years before and then 12 years later he's still the same age how did they not work that out not even that is if this is if it's the 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 quote from his thing is is this supposed to be in the present day which would date the opening sequence to 1996 12 years from 2010 does not make 1996 for a start Mm. But is it only that's clearly the O2 dome on the East London skyline, mm. which wasn't there until close to the turn of the century. I'd, I have several things wrong with his sentence. Firstly, he's a time lord in a time machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, secondly, he doesn't land in London. He lives somewhere in he lands somewhere in the West Country. Because she doesn't she say in the thing that there the nearest town is Gloucester. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thirdly, it's a sci-fi program. Who cares? And fourthly, <laughs> yes, he does go over the dome, but the dome actually had been start. The construction had started in 1998, yeah. which is when the episode would have been set. Get your maths right, Guardian, my ass. Well, I mean, I, he could be talking about the 14 years between because he does skip another two years at the end so yeah. i don't think we should say too much about that but the tardis is obviously malfunctioning it can easily yeah. slip a couple of it's years a, in any direction exactly this is what i don't but the the second one was the one that really kind of tipped me off that really this, that this, one wasn't the one the, wow <laughs> this guy might not actually know what he's talking about because he says if you manage to avoid the spoiler that the doctor was amy's imaginary friend then well done you although you're clearly not very good at the internet uh, before i finish his quote I'm quite good at the internet. I just chose not to look at that stuff. That doesn't mean we're bad at the internet. I appreciate not being patronised. <laughs> the end of his quote is, it's a brilliant conceit that puts a new spin on a 50-year-old dynamic, which to me suggests that he thinks that's the whole idea of the show, that he thinks that, that Stephen Moffat has decided, right, the Doctor is now an imaginary friend to Amy, when that isn't the point of the show, because Amy says, uh, I think the quote is something like, all those psychiatrists, I bit them because they told me you weren't real. So he's obviously real, and it's either very bad phrasing, which is possible for a journalist. I mean, God forbid they should get something wrong. It's the Guardian. But they make uh, mistakes. <laughs> if it's not bad phrasing, that's a really stupid thing to say. Could could he mean that that it just means that the companion for the first time has known the Doctor all her life? No, not for the first time, because Susan probably did too. But mm. for the first time since the beginning of the show, has in essence grown up with the Doctor. 
as part of her life. Yeah, it's possible. But at the same time, if that's what he meant, why didn't he write it? Yeah, why couldn't I, they just get Charlie Brooker to write it? He's yeah. like God. Yeah. And he loves Doctor Who. Um, that's actually a really nice link into a sketch that I've written about what it must be like growing up knowing that the Doctor's out there. Um, so this is a little scene, I guess, that I would like to call Pond Life. a baby Amelia you nearly snipped off my elbow nearly Rory nearly not actually so why did you say ow it's my best shirt mum says it's only for best on Sunday it's nice thanks but it's not how he wears it how who wears it the raggedy doctor it's all torn and ripped from the crash and the explosions and because he had to climb out of the library I don't want to play the raggedy doctor again. It's boring. He's boring. I want to play Power Rangers. I'll be the Tyrannosaurus. Don't be silly. Tyrannosaurus doesn't exist. Not anymore. I want to play real life. But the raggedy doctor isn't real either. My mum says he's imaginary. That you made him up because of what happened to your mum and dad. What about my mum and dad? Nothing. I was just saying that he's... It's... Stupid, that's all. Rory, do you want to stay here and play the raggedy doctor with me or do you want to go home and watch your videos of casualty on your own? Well? First one? Pardon? The first one. Good, now be quiet and hold still. Are you sure I can't be prisoner zero? No, you can't. Why not? He scares me. Is that why you keep the cricket bat under your bed? Maybe. Rory, how do you know I keep a cricket bat under my bed? Were you looking through my suitcase? No, of course not. I was just... Ow! You did that on purpose. Answered the question, Rory. Well, I might have had a little look. It's just weird, isn't it? Keeping a packed suitcase under your bed. It's like... It's like you're not staying. I'm not. Don't you want to stay in Ledworth, then? I think it's brilliant. It's not brilliant. It's rubbish. I want to run away to another planet. I want to travel in time and see stars and alien princesses. I want to be free. There's nothing to do here. There's a post office. It's always closed. And there's me. I know. You're alright, I suppose, but you're weird. Whenever we play doctors and nurses, you never want to be the doctor. I just think nurses are cool. If you say so. Now stand back. Let's have a look at you. Yes, you're almost perfect. Stay right there. Hey! What did you do that for? I'm all wet now and I was drinking that squash. He just climbed out of the swimming pool in the library. That's what he looked like. Fine, whatever. But I'm not eating fish fingers and custard again. It was disgusting. Had to clean my teeth three times afterwards. Oh, go on, please. That was the best bit. Only if we have a sleepover afterwards and watch ER. 
You can't sleep over, Rory. You know that. My aunt says I can't have boys in here and we don't have a spare room. How can a house this big not have a spare room? It just doesn't. All right, Rory, stop talking about it. Now close your eyes so I can put the glitter on. I look like a girl. No, you're changing. It's like magic. When you breathe, the air turns golden. (laughs) Of course it does. Look, I'm just going to go to the loo. I'll be back in a minute. No, don't go. I don't like being here on my own. It's scary. It's your house. How can a house be scary? Don't worry, I'll just be down the hall. I'll be five minutes. That's what they all say. Well, that's it for this week. And uh, thanks ever so much for listening. As ever, please feel free to put any comments or reviews of your own on our website, which is www.theoodcast.com or any reviews and comments that you wish to put on our iTunes site. You can find us at the iTunes store and that will make us doubly happy because the more comments that go on there makes us go up in the search rankings on iTunes. Oh, lovely. Like Prisoner Zero up a ventilation shaft. Oh, yes. (laughs) What Uh, with your metaphors now? You're all over the place. (laughs) I know. Oh, with these metaphors, you are really spoiling us. There are other ways of contacting the Oodcast, as follows. If you'd like to email us, please email oodcast at me.com. And if you want to see us on Facebook, we are at www.facebook.com slash theoodcast, all lowercase, all one word. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, go to at theoodcast, all lowercase, all, all one, one word. word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so twee. Amazing. Okay, see you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. Cheerio. Wake me with blue flashing light Signaling that you're nearby You know that if we are to stay alive We must confront the giant Especially when you're spitting out some yogurt
suitcase in the back of my garden. Did you say five or did you mean six million three hundred eleven thousand three hundred eighty? You look at me from across the roof. You're wearing your bow tie again. Believe me, I know it's crazy. It shocks me to the core that it looks good. So ask me into your wooden box, and we'll live outside the moment. And I don't wanna do what Adric and Joe Grant and Rose Tyler did. I'm just glad you're here now. Wake me with blue flashing light, signaling that you're nearby. You know that if we are to stay alive, we must confront the giant tide. I don't wanna wait for my life to be over while everyone believes that I'm crazy. Sit on a suitcase. Million three hundred eleven thousand three hundred eighty. I don't wanna wait for my life to be over while everyone believes that I'm crazy. Sit on a suitcase in the back of my garden. Did you say five or did you mean six million three hundred eleven thousand three hundred eighty? Stay alive, we must confront the giant tide.